If you like what we're doing at Echoplex and aren't into Twitch, please join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Echoplex. For $5, you can get every show from beginning to end sent to you as an MP3. Even the stuff we bleep out because it's too spicy for Twitch. Echoplex would not be where we are today if it wasn't for the community support we receive. Find out all the ways you can support the show at echoplexmedia.com slash support. When they actually spend their time listening to this show, what does it mean? It means we're winning. I'm white and I've got everything I need. No one clutches their presses when they're in a room alone with me. And I can drive for any neighborhood I please. At any hour, and the police don't do a thing. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I got everything I need. I'm a guy getting paid more than a girl with a degree. And I can walk down the streets after dark, no one wants to rape me. And I can get a girl pregnant and just as easily flee. Just like my straight white male dad did to me. So if I see a penny on the ground, I leave it alone and fucking flip it. I'm a straight white male in America. I've got all the luck I need. I've got a pile of broken mirrors and I'm walking under ladders and I'm spilling tons of salt, but to me that doesn't matter because my skin and my gender and my orientation are the best things to have if you live in this nation. I recommend it highly. a penny on the ground I leave it alone and fucking flip it I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Shit's gonna work out for me Cause I'm a straight white male in America I've got all the luck I need Hey everybody, welcome to the Intellectual Dollar Tree the show that we did not know whether or not was going to happen this evening. I'm producer Dave You can find me on Grinder. I'm HK Perrin. You can find me on Mastodon at hperrin at port87.social. Mastodon, uh, Mastodon handles are weird. They have two at symbols. I think you can get uh, away with... Also, we, we, made a new, we made a new thing for the store. Uh, I made it with an AI image generator. Uh, I'm going to spam it in the chat a little bit here. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll show it off a little bit during the uh, post game here, everybody. Uh, and we'll be we'll be having more AI generated shirts. But this is not a show about AI. Um, this is unfortunately <laughs> going to be a show about Dave Rubin and Peter Thiel. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> this is going to be good. I mean, good good in <laughs> and that. By good, I mean really bad. Good good in that way that only we and our our beloved audience enjoys. Or oh shit, where'd all the viewers go? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Those parts where there was still progress and where things were were still getting better also were somehow distracting us from the lack of progress everywhere else, the ways in which we're not a progressive society. We use the word progressive, gets used all the time, but it doesn't right. stand for actual progress. Oh, this is the best part of the interview. 
the, uh, the, the iPhones that um, you know, distract us from our environment also distract us from the way it's strangely old. So you're looking at an iPhone while you're riding a 100-year-old subway that's completely busted in New York. And right. so there's something about, um, we have some element. Hold on, no, the subway in New York works hella good. You're wrong. You just don't like it because you, you're rich and you think it should be fucking gold. <laughs> uh, I mean, there are a lot of parts of our infrastructure that need updating, but you know who's not for that? <laughs> Libertarians. Peter fucking Teal. But they've uh, they've been uh, distracting us from you know the lack of progress or even the outright decline. Is that the best part? Of you the can say the too? same thing about books and newspaper. I'm Dave Rubin, live from the local studio here in Miami, and joining me today is the founder of the Teal Foundation, the co-founder of PayPal and Palantir, Peter Teal. I could have given you like a whole bigger intro there. Anything else you want to throw in yourself? It's all good. G generally, the shorter the intro, the more flattering it is. You, oh. have, you have super long, you have a 20-page resume for people who've never done anything. So well, I was going to say, Renaissance man, disgruntled. Oh my God, how, look at how shitty that fucking thing they have hanging there looks. Does look really bad. Uh, it looks like that's something you would see in like a tasteless coffee shop. I was thinking like uh, at a play put on by children. It's like the most corporate coffee shop with the blandest coffee you could imagine. For the intro gets the the more it suggests, which is basically what Dave Rubin is, oh, just right. as like in human I have, form. I actually, have notes. I never have notes when I do a show, but I was like, I want to cover some new ground and not just get into the the political thing <laughs> that we're always fighting uh, with everybody about. Uh, but I thought I'd start because we are here in Miami. Uh, you know, you famously left San Francisco moved most of the operation to Los Angeles. You do have a place in Miami. Um, how do you feel about this? Incorrect. Palantir and Founders Fund are both still here in the Bay Area. Sort of movement of people across the country right now and, and sort of watching people migrate to different places. They have a wooden floor on the wall. Very, very different ways. Oh, shit, we're back in a wooden well, it's, room. Uh, it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's surely a very healthy thing that, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's in retrospect, it's amazing that people were as stuck as they were in the places they were they were in for for such a long time, and you know the the history of the U.S. was that this had always been a society where people moved a lot between places, and and the mobility, um, the physical mobility, had actually gone down probably a lot for the last forty or fifty years relative to the you know two hundred year history before that. And so, uh, like, is that true? He keeps saying these things about like how like do, I think people probably move around more now than they did fifty years yeah. ago. Yeah, um, I'm going to guess that that's not true. Uh, we could be wrong, but this is like romanticizing. It sounds pretty sus. This is like romanticizing a fake version of the past. He thinks that pioneer time was like before times. Like, but like you know, people died on the, those travels. You're less likely to die when you move now. <laughs> uh, well, it depends on how much money you have. And you know, it's 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 probably the jury's still a little bit out whether this is a temporary or permanent feature. But it's 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 surely a healthy recalibration. It's it's sort of this idea you can always start over in this country, um, and one of the ways you start over is you move to a new place. Were you kind of patting yourself on the back that you were the first guy out of San Francisco? And my audience, yeah, nobody ever left San Francisco before Peter Thiel. No rich person ever was like, <laughs> "Fuck this place, I'm going to move to fucking Miami," ever. <laughs> 
as I've posted some uh, videos from a if, recent. If I recall, San Francisco, San Francisco has had like a lot of people move out of it because the prices got so, uh, so inflated. But that was offset by the people moving into it. Right, but I mean, he just, I think uh, Dave Rubin just means like people who like make a big show of leaving San Francisco, which I believe maybe Peter Thiel was maybe the first, one of the first tech people, like the first tech moguls to make a big show of not actually leaving the Bay Area, but just buying a, a second house somewhere else. <laughs> Visit to San Francisco, the way that place has just collapsed under progressive policies is, is the Millennium Tower hasn't fallen down yet. You don't have any employees. That no, are, no, it's it's completely collapsed. Although you still do. Have Last time I was there, it was uh, it's gone, right? Uh, there still are some people, not not very many, that still are are living in San Francisco uh, proper. Uh, and uh, wait, there aren't many people. What the fuck? What is the population of San Francisco? Oh, he thinks those aren't people because they're not it's, billionaires. It, it's over a million, isn't it? I don't know what that. But he's like, there aren't that many people that still live there. I mean, I guess it depends on who you consider to be people, or at least hundreds of thousands. Yeah, it is. It is really extraordinary. I lived. I lived in San Francisco from. 2003 to 2000, 2018. And uh, it's sort of uh, 805,000. Yeah, but oh, how wait, many? That of, was 2010. How many uh, of them? 873,000. How many of them do you suppose Peter Thiel thinks are people? I got to think at least one. But the idea, it took a while for the idea to. Maybe he thinks Elon Musk is people? On the slow decay deterioration thing, you know, the, the homelessness was... And Elon Musk sleeps in the Twitter headquarters, right? 2014, 2015. With his bodyguards? You started to realize, you know, it's actually getting worse. And they're never going to... It's not just that this is this fake problem that they're taking a long time to fix. It's they are... It's a fake problem they use to distract from everything else. They're never going to fix it. So when you when you're here, I mean, it's in also Florida, a real problem. You know? it, well, it's also right. It's it's, it's fake. It's real. Nobody lives there. They either don't seem interested in fixing. Well, what do you think well, is the it's, answer it's, to that? Is there it that they're the, not interested? The, there are a lot of problems that are yeah. both real and fake. Yeah. So the homeless problem is. So so yeah. hold on. Yeah. In the past ten years, San Francisco's population has increased by ten percent. Shh. <laughs> what the fuck are they even talking about? Those aren't people. How many, how many of them are worth over 150 million? I'd say a handful. Yeah, probably a handful. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's an incredible problem, but um, it also, you get a sense that it never gets fixed. And so if you, if you talk about a problem that you're never going to fix, then you can avoid talking about all the other problems. <laughs> like, let's say, wait a minute. I would suggest to you that Peter Thiel's venture firm and maybe venture firms of other people, such as Mark Andreessen, et cetera, et cetera, have contributed to the problem of homelessness in San Francisco. Yes. I mean, very much so. Yes. Yeah. That's like, that's like a reason that people are, uh, uh, don't have a place to live there is because the influx of tech money doesn't actually trickle down. It, it may, if you're an engineer, but maybe not even depends on where you work and fucking how, you know, how, where you were at what time and what happened and who fired you or I don't know who brought a sink into the place that you worked. I mean, there all kind of shit happens there. It's a volatile like industry. It, it might, it might trickle down, but it also has a, a pressure that pushes down and the people on the bottom get, get pushed out. Right. And by out, you mean outside. Yes. Outside living on the street. They get pushed out of 
their homes, out of their communities. And then this fucking guy probably wants to push him out of the state even. Cost of living for um, out of control rents for people with homes or um, broken schools or, you know, crime or, you know, there sort of are probably half a dozen other issues that uh, move to the bottom of the queue as long as we talk about an unsolvable problem. When you were there, were you trying to talk to them about those things and say, guys, like, look, Gosh, I wonder what I wonder what what political party is trying to do something about out of control rents. Uh, not is the, it the Republicans? The, to be fair, the Libertarians want your rent to be low, but they also don't want there to be building codes so that your house might fall down. <laughs> and yeah, the state true. Of the decay. Uh, so on, on the, rent's the real low because it's made out of cardboard. Like uh, exit is much more powerful than voice. Yeah, you know it is. Uh, it was. Uh, I'm not sure it's super corrupt, but uh, uh, San Francisco is super ideological in this uh, very left-wing, mm-hmm. very uh, unreformable way. And, uh, and uh, you know, it would be, you know, it's, it's, I always have a schizophrenic view about getting involved in, in politics, where it's, <laughs> it's like super important and super toxic, but, yeah. uh, but getting involved in uh, San, Francisco, San Francisco city politics, uh, that, would be, that would be absolutely an insane thing to do relative to just moving. You're not enough of a masochist for that. It's, it's, uh, you, know, you just wouldn't get elected. Nobody would listen yeah. to you. I think <laughs> I think what he means is if I tried to run for any sort of office in San Francisco, I would be handily embarrassed. So I should just move. Heroism's good. Martyrdom, not so good. And uh, and uh, and yeah, the the relative uh, the relative sanity of getting involved in local politics or just moving out of San Francisco, you should always move. So to that point, one more thing on this. Um, so now you're here in Florida, you know, you have a place for the, here for, for, for the winter. Last few winters, so you're yes. split in time and obviously you also have your place in LA, uh, but do you feel, but he just, he would up LA is not that different than San Francisco. What is he fucking with the, the fucking libertarian paradise of Los Angeles? What the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> Uh, yeah, Los Angeles is known for its very conservative uh, political atmosphere, right? Like, <laughs> you didn't even move. It's to like Austin. one of the ma- one of the biggest major metropolitan areas in the country. It's like super blue. Yeah, <laughs> a real tangible difference when you're here. I mean, you know, I left a year ago, and it's like I have not looked back, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm loving it here. And I see, like, literally half, like. Every one of your episodes, you talk about having left California, Dave. You are looking back. It's. Did you know, Dave, that if you took uh, all four of those states that are up at the top of the the United States, it's Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, and uh, Montana, I think. If you took all of them, all of the people in those states, added up their entire populations, uh it would be one eighth of the population of LA County. Yeah, I know. I know it's it, that the way, the way they're talking about this is fucking just detached from reality. Like, you know, a lot of these people, they're like, Oh, I'm going to move to Texas, but then they move to Austin, which is just like Portland, right? It's basically (laughs) Texas, Portland, but this guy moved to LA and it's like, dude, you just, you're not, it's just San Francisco without the hills. <laughs> so incredibly yep. uh, powerful and flourishing here. Do you feel that when you're here? Uh, well, it, it has, you know, there is, there is sort of just an extraordinary difference if you're in a place where you, you just feel it's growing versus not. 
Yeah. And, and LA County is also growing, I'm sure. Uh, Florida, Texas. Again, has, um, San Francisco's population has increased by 10% in the last 10 years. And I imagine so LA. I don't know what these two are smoking. Probably that's the problem, is they both need to take some bong hits and chill the fuck out. But I would imagine that LA County has had similar growth, right? Because it's similar Probably. to San Francisco. Every, every storefront is full. There are no empty stores. You know, everything, it's not, I'm not sure it's quite booming, but it feels, you know, it feels healthy and growing. And then, um, and then you know, much of California does not quite have that feel, even though, of course, you know, Sil Silicon Valley has been this odd place where it was a, um, you know, gold rush and everyone was depressed. Yeah. <laughs> even so for the last decade. So the, the, the Silicon Valley had a very odd. Telling on yourself. A crazy boom that didn't actually feel that way if you you know walk down the street and then uh and then certainly with with the covid shock the last few years uh it's quite different I, I still think california is is probably somewhat healthier than new york or you know completely bankrupt states like illinois or you know non-states like puerto rico mm -hmm. but uh, non-states like puerto rico than new york i think um uh, i think the i, I mean there are ways he's not that wrong that it's not a state but it really should be Puerto Rico has a larger population than several of the, the states in California and probably the very big. Again, it depends on who you consider to be people and Apple. Um, it's, it's hard to picture them actually moving out of California, whereas you can um, you can pick the, you can picture the big banks gradually moving out of New York. And, 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 and they're not going to. It's been a little bit more movable. <laughs> you know what the, the big, big banks, banks are going to move out of New York? You know what the investment firms are going to do, HK? They're just going to leave Wall Street. Yeah, they're, they're just going to move to Montana. <laughs> Makes it more dangerous for California because um, if things ever go wrong, they will be so bust. It'll right. be like, it'll be I'm like sorry I'm picking on Montana. That it had these captive big three car manufacturers. It was asking for and, it. Uh, could get away with very bad policies in Michigan, Detroit, for decade after decade. And then when, you know, when that industry finally went south, you know, it was, it was just unfixable. So do, the, do you so find that these New York, uh, New York's in a worse shape right now because people are, are, you know, relatively more people are leaving. It's easier for the businesses to leave. Um, and then maybe, uh, maybe California, if it, if it's not careful, you know, it, it will at some point really go off the cliff. Right. Do you find that these things sort of happen slowly and then very quickly? So something like California, it's like, you know, Cali's lost almost a million people in these last three years. And a lot of them are high earners. I mean, these are people who are paying into the system that's ever. You don't know that. At some point, somebody has to look at numbers, right? And be like, none of this works. You know, or I guess. And out of 40 something million, like the population going down by a million in three years ain't shit. It might go back up by a million this year, right? right it just continues somehow i suppose yeah, yeah I, I, I actually i don't know how many of them were the highest earners in california the last last few years i think new york was was a little bit more that effect than than california uh but yes these things you know yes all the rich people are just leaving palo alto hk they're just packing <laughs> up their several ferraris and leaving palo alto los gatos also too everybody's there everybody in los gatos is like fuck this place <laughs> on people on the hills with them fucking 14 bedroom houses they're like i'm out <laughs> it's it's when you go outside and you don't see all the all the stores as soon as you see an empty storefront you got to get out of there immediately 
we have these odd dynamics where things go on for a very long time. They're not ultimately sustainable, but you know, there's, you know, there's some, there's some way I often think that much of the 2000s and 2010s were this weird continuation of the 1990s. You know, the decades, there were things that happened. You know, you had 9-11, you had the global financial crisis, Trump election, Brexit. There were, there were some events that happened in those 20 years, but it was surprisingly little. December 2019, I was reflecting on the 2010s, and I, I, I realized there have been no retrospectives on this decade. And what actually happened in the hmm. 2010s? What do you mean? Did, no, did nobody do a retrospective of the decade? What is he talking about? Uh, I... I believe there have been several. So what's going on here is as everybody's media diet becomes more diffuse, if ABC does a big this was the decade, fucking most people aren't going to watch it, right? Because the media, everybody has more places to get media from. So the share of like people watching TV or whatever, the share of people consuming media at all, just a lower percentage of those people are going to be consuming anything by any of the big networks. That's just what's happening. I don't, like that was especially accelerated in the 2010s because that was when the streaming really got big. So people were like watching Netflix and shit. Yeah. But also like we're like three years out from the decade. So like any retrospective of the decade is going to end with stuff from like three years ago. Yeah. But I just think what's what's like what's important here is that when we have we don't have these big cultural television moments anymore. We just don't have them because of how we don't do it. That's not how we consume media anymore. So it doesn't really matter. You know what I'm saying? Arguably we never really did. I mean, uh, people people remember these like big television moments as if like everyone was watching that, but you know, not everyone had a TV, so not everyone was watching it. And not everyone paid attention to to every single network. Yeah. I just, like I said, I just think there's more options. And so the odds of a yeah. big, of a big event being put on by ABC are just, it's like almost impossible now. I think you're right about that. But like anything, any sort of big event is only going to be viewed by like a couple percent of the population. I wish we had a couple percent of the population watching this channel right now. My Game God, Thrones, yeah. <laughs> and people fell into their iPhones, and right. uh, and then, uh, but then it was somehow just this this thing that was sort of a stretched, exhausted version of the two thousands, which themselves were a stretched, exhausted version of, of the nineties, and then uh, and then I you know, I want to say that in some sense, you know, March two thousand twenty, when COVID hits, um, we finally, you know. Uh, a lot of these things. Finally. Oh, wait a minute. Also, when maybe some of those retrospectives of the nineties would have come out instead, people were covering a pandemic or of the nineties of the 2010s would have come out. People were covering a pandemic. Yeah. Accelerating. So, so and you know, um, and, uh, we're finally in the 21st century. So that's actually a great segue. To there, there was a, a pretty big ago. cultural event going on in, in the year 2020. I'll give you that. <laughs> right. It may have may have may have flooded the channel such that uh these sort of fawning retrospectives of the decade past either didn't happen or if they did happen, people were like, What? What the what what why are you trying to show me that? Can you tell me where where to get toilet paper, please? <laughs> Once off camera you said to me, I wouldn't be a libertarian if any of it worked. 
And I just thought that line pretty much captures so much of what's happening, even right this moment. You referenced the last three years of COVID, where it seems like nothing really works anymore. Our government kind of mm-hmm. doesn't work. Our educational institutions yes. don't seem to work. The, the medical field yes. doesn't seem to work. Is it all, is it sort of obvious that they were all not going to work at the exact same time? Or how did this happen? I mean, I probably could have predicted that if there was like a major, like a major medical event or a pandemic, that things would have gone haywire, but it's not the reason they think. And it's the, it's the, it would, the reason I probably would have predicted would have been like the, the rise of online conspiracism and the the Mm -hmm. ways in which that's really easy to monetize Uh, Dave Rubin. Yep. Like if you have these big channels of all these supposedly influential people sowing doubt about things that they don't know anything about themselves. Then yeah, maybe maybe the impression for people who watch that kind of content is going to be that everything failed because there's money in selling that message to people. Yeah, I was going to say there are profit incentives to to spread conspiracies and to spread uh, content that makes you feel sad or angry, just any sort of like very strong emotion. Like now on. On social media, like because of you know them trying to drive engagement, there are these profit incentives to make content like that, and like the content that's going to make you the most upset will be the content that spreads the farthest. Well, I'm you know I'm tempted to say the rot has been building up for a long time, uh, and you know if, if you define technology as doing more with you're the less, rot though, dude. Um, so like I agree, but you're the rot. <laughs> These institutions, educational, even healthcare, are, are are kind of the opposite, where you get the same for more, or you get less for more. So it's the anti-tech definition. The billionaire class cool. is the problem. Well, and what he just said there was that, like, if you define technology as you get uh, more, uh, like, value for like less, and I think he means either less money or less resources. Like that's kind of intangible and kind of hard to hard to measure because especially if you just try to do it intuitively without a bunch of data because inflation happens and so you think you know in my day a candy bar was a nickel well how much was a nickel worth in your day <laughs> like compared to like what a nickel's worth now you know it was worth one candy bar well <laughs> probably in some sense the quality of the education is is way lower than it was 50 or 60 years ago. The costs are way higher. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it is, you're getting less for more. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then there are, you know, yeah, but like how, how many dollars am I getting for my candy bar now? People are getting a little bit used to be, I had a candy bar. I could only get a nickel, double the cost. Mm-hmm. So it's again, uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of, it's, it's sort of like a 80% socialist healthcare system that we have not hundred percent, but, but 80. Wait, no, it's not an 80% socialist healthcare system. What the fuck is he talking about? Yeah, I think our 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 healthcare system is something around like maybe ten to fifteen or no. Well, I'm not. We're, I don't want to. Like like, we're, we're not going to. We're not going to sense make. We're not going to sense make the percentage of the healthcare system that is socialism. But eighty percent is the wrong number. Oh, very much so. Very much wrong. I because you would have to. I think it's around thirty. I could be wrong. We're not going to sense again, make. We're not, I would Medicare. rather not sense make the number for the percentage of the healthcare system, but it ain't eighty. Yeah. And like even the parts that are like what he would call socialism, like Medicare, aren't actually socialism because 
Medicare is just the insurance part. The healthcare system itself is mostly for profit. Yep. That's screwed up with that. So yeah, I think I think there are a lot of things that had not been working for for quite some time. And maybe the the interesting question is why people weren't noticing it or something like that. Yeah, you know, so what do you think that is? Is that just our modern lives? We're staring at our phones all day. We're, we're watching TV shows and we're just not paying attention you know, the, to the, what's the, going the, on. There the, the, the were still some parts of our society where things were progressing. And there was certainly some um, you know, maybe narrow cone of progress around computers, software, internet, mobile internet. Um, and then... Um, the, Here he goes again about how like we weren't making any progress. It's because this guy we, is so fucking siloed. It's because we like when we think about the past, right? When we're taught about the past, it's taught in a condensed and compressed manner. And when you live in the present, you're living every minute of it. So it feels longer. <laughs> yeah. Because you gotta wait. But like let's think about like okay, let's think about like the the most ridiculous like roofing. All right? Roofing. You think Roofing's got to be the same as it was 20 years ago, right? Mm -mm. No, it is very much not. We have new roofing materials. We have new roofing like systems. We have solar panels on your freaking roof now. I mean, we had those 20 years ago, but those were mostly just to heat your pool if you were rich. <laughs> but yeah, but like, now you look out and like tons of people have solar panels and that and, are actually powering their house. And uh, not for nothing, you know, most a lot of house fires used to start because of people's roofs and now they're making roofing material that you could dump a fucking can of gas and light it on fire and just the gas would burn <laughs> you know what i'm saying the roof wouldn't even <laughs> light on fire like but that's the kind of stuff this guy doesn't see as progress right because that's safety stuff for regular people if he even thinks those are people well yeah he just doesn't see any progress outside of his like extremely limited view of the world like his view is just it's limited to like things that personally affect him you know you you even think about do you remember like you know in like 2004 or 2005 you'd buy like a sports car you'd buy like a and it would have like a v8 engine and 220 horsepower or whatever and now you could buy a sports car with an engine that's like half the size not to even say anything of electric cars engine that's half the fucking size and has 350 horsepower and it's like that's actual progress mm -hmm. and it probably it gets good gas mileage and shit too like these are but it's all like this is all stuff that happened incrementally that he doesn't fucking that, that he i think he's mad that he hasn't innovated anything i think that's what's going on here he hasn't made any innovations himself <laughs> right when was the last time peter Thiel innovated something uh i don't think he ever has but I mean, he was one of the co-founders of PayPal and PayPal was kind of a big deal. It like revolutionized online payments, right? Uh, I think PayPal was in the right place at the right time. I don't I'm think not, he I'm, had anything I'm not, to do I'm with not it's... asking what you think. I'm, I'm talking about where, <laughs> what he thinks he does. You know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. yeah he, that's what he thinks. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but like. Yeah, th these things don't personally affect him because he's like, he's like ridiculously like filthy rich, filthy fucking rich. So like, you know, the technology of what goes on your roof to you and me, 
that's really important. And we'll know when that technology gets better. But to him, he doesn't give a fuck. Or we write someone a check. We're not going to know right away, but we might find out about it and be like, oh, that's really cool. And he would be like, uh, have you seen my mansion? My roof is made out of a, out of a substance you can't afford a pound of. <laughs> but like the, the, the kind of technology that would affect him personally being so filthy fucking rich in the past 10 years. Sure. It probably hasn't gotten much better. But like the kind of technology that affects us regular people has gotten way better. And uh, not for and nothing he does not see that. Not for nothing we did this before like just networking. Just just networking. Uh mobile and wired and the whole like just networking. Sure your home internet hasn't hasn't changed but that's cuz some other rich asshole like Peter Thiel owns owns, owns Comcast or, or runs Comcast, right? But like you you can put get a card for your computer that's a couple hundred bucks that does like a hundred gigabit over over a fiber over fiber optic now sure you're not going to wire your house with that because your other devices don't have it but that's that's fucking massive that fucking card probably has the same amount of fucking processor power that a computer did 20 years ago <laughs> yep Where there and was he, he did and to his credit he did say there was very limited innovation in the computer and software space, which is really like, <laughs> I don't know how he thinks that's very limited. <laughs> like computers run the world now. Things were, were still getting better. Also were somehow distracting us from the lack of progress everywhere else. The ways in which we're not a progressive society. We use the word progressive gets used all the time, but it doesn't right. stand for actual progress. And, uh, you know, I always say, you know, the, the, uh, the, the iPhones that, uh, well, you know what, there's also a, a kinds of music called progressive house and progressive rock. And those aren't actually about technological progress either. So the, it's, yeah. if you ever, did you know that a word <laughs> HK could have different meanings in different contexts? <laughs> I did know that. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if Peter Thiel has heard that. <laughs> you know, distract us from our environment. Also distract us from the way it's strangely old. So you're looking at an iPhone while you're riding a 100-year-old subway that's completely busted in New York. And right. so there's something about, um, we have some elements. Oh, yeah, we don't usually uh, do much with chat been. during the podcast. But somebody in the chat said, hey, you know, with like kind of cloud services, you could roll PayPal in a month now. <laughs> <laughs> like maybe not at the scale you would need to be be at now but at the scale it was at then yeah absolutely uh if you had the money you could roll it at the scale you need to be at now like think of think of like how little it would cost relative to back then to have the kind of compute power to process what paypal did every day back then yeah it's like a data center or like a fairly expensive droplet on digital ocean, but not, you know, not, not that expensive. Yeah. Get two of them and then you got redundancy. You're golden. Distracting us from, you know, the lack of progress or even the outright decline. And then, um, and then, it, it, yeah, there was some kind of crazy crystallizing event like, like COVID where, you know, you have no science, no rationality, um, Motherfucker, they made a vaccine in a year. What the fuck is he talking? No science, no rationality during COVID. I mean, I I will agree that in the White House, sure, there was no science and no rationality. 
I I shouldn't say that. There was uh but there was very minimal science and rationality in the White House during that time. Um uh, but like how yeah, like you said, they made a fucking vaccine in a year. What the fuck is this guy talking about? It's like he hasn't poked his little head out of the rock he's been hiding under in like 20 years. To be fair, there's only like six of that rock on the planet and they're they're each worth like $3 billion. So like I would hang out with that rock too. <laughs> you, know, you can't, it, it takes a long time to even get the vaccine approved. You know, no, it didn't. Blocker, all, all these things. You know, don't work. Wait, wasn't really there simple. what people like him and the fucking people that were on Dave Rubin's show weren't we could find examples on Dave Rubin's show where people were complaining that the vaccine was approved too quickly, right? Yes. In fact, that was the one of the big the grand themes of the IDW and one of the things we were talking about for a very long time on this show. Still work relatively better in the U.S. than many other countries, but uh, uh, there are still people that think really any so day now, kind of people like you and me that got vaccinated, we're just going to drop dead. It was the first outside investor in Facebook, and sort of, you know, at the beginning of the of the tech boom twenty something years ago. Were you thinking Wait, about the tech boom twenty something years ago? That wasn't Facebook, you fucking idiot. Twenty something years ago was Pets.com some of that then or was anyone talking about the fact that we might all get i think facebook was so negative one years old so 20 20 years ago and all this stuff that everything else will just kind of slide 20 something years ago it was negative was one plus something of some of years old well i didn't i didn't, I didn't you know I, I i think it's always a little bit unfair to to um put too much of the blame on on silicon valley for this where um you know th there was some innovation in silicon valley uh, there was a sense in which it, it probably was not not quite enough. You know, there was a, this manifesto that um, my venture capital fund put out in, uh, back in 2011 where the tagline was, you know, they promised us flying cars and all we got was 140 yeah, characters. Yeah. And that wasn't, it wasn't meant as an anti-Twitter argument per se. You know, like Twitter, you know, it's, it's a good business. It's good for the several thousand people. So the, the, the thing about the flying cars is we, there's a problem and it's fucking gravity and power <laughs> getting a car an inch off of the ground under its own power is a uh, energy intensive yes very energy intensive and if you see how bad how bad how badly people drive in two dimensions <laughs> yeah uh, there is a reason that you need a pilot's license to fly. Uh, and pilot's licenses are not easy to get. Also, they have so, a whole they have a whole air traffic control system, not like a little sign that says drive careful. <laughs> yeah. Like I have a driver's license. It took me like six months to get it, and most of the most of that time it was just like, Yeah, go out, have fun, make sure your mom's with you. Right. And to get a pilot's license, you have to spend like hundreds of hours in the air. Work there. Maybe there were slightly too many, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, for at least for the several thousand that are left, it's a good business. It's, yeah. uh, um, I would not want to live in a world where there were flying cars. In some way, but it wasn't enough to you know, take our whole civilization to the next level. 
and this was so. So I think Silicon Valley was was doing some things, but it was not enough. And then you know there were arguments that you know it didn't have to all be in Silicon Valley. You know they weren't building they weren't building flying cars in Silicon Valley. They weren't building flying cars anywhere else. Right. So since you mentioned Twitter, let's just do an Elon thing for a second. As you watch the guy buy this thing, obviously you guys did PayPal together and everything else. Do you think he realized what a freaking headache this thing was going to become, and and how how crazy the product under the hood actually was? Uh, there was probably there was probably uh I man Dave Rubin is like he's he he is an Elon stan. Like if you're still defending Elon at this point, if you still think the guy is like at all smart. Just wow. The uh, the Twitter um, the Twitter acquisition. I think that, uh, or just you know, broadly I, speaking, figure, yes. finding that so many of these things are sort of broken under the hood in a way. Uh, I th- I think I think. <laughs> but you're he, taking his word for it that the he, he means broken under the hood. He probably means this the 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 code the software stack, right? Yes, that is exactly what he means because that's what Elon says. Because Elon is fucking embarrassed about how shit a job he's doing at running and, Twitter. And not so for he not, has to blame it on the code. Not for nothing, a lot of that code is like the same open source code that runs every other fucking website, like on the fucking internet. Like, yeah. Like, there's not, like, sure, there's proprietary stuff there, obviously, but, like, a lot of it is just the same, it's the same open source shit that runs everything. And so, like, if if he thinks, if they're going to say a majority of it's broken, that means that, like, all the code that runs everything is broken. And that's, I mean code is always broken that's why people are always working on it like that's <laughs> it, but it, it's like a, it's like your car your car is always broken if you don't maintain it like anything is always broken if you don't take care of it unless it's like the six billion dollar rock that he's been hiding under that's perfect impenetrable unobtainium had some idea but probably not not the full extent yeah right there was probably you know probably the fact that they were willing to sell twitter to him should have told him no the the reason they were willing to sell twitter to to him is they were like okay so our company's probably overvalued i think it was like 28 or 30 bucks a share i forget 35 something like that he offered 5420 because 420 and the people who invested in that company who heavily invested in that company they said you know what that's like a fucking 30 percent overvalue at least on uh, what the company's actually worth let's fucking sell that and then he tried to back out because he was like "Uh uh-oh uh oh! Oops! Oops! Yeah. Oops! I'm trying to pay too much. Oops! Oops! And they're like, no, 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 no! Give me the fucking money, like the contract says. And then he was like, oh, yeah, we're gonna go to court. We're gonna go to. He's like, oh, we're contract. gonna. He was like, oh, we're gonna go to court. We're gonna go to court. And they go, oh, do you know what a deposition is? And he goes, oh, I think I'm gonna try to find the money to buy this company. <laughs> yeah, his his mistake was signing the contract, like. I'm sure a lot of us click agree on those end user license agreements and, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, put our names on things that we haven't read fully. But if you're buying something big, like say you're buying a car, you should be reading the contract. Or if you're buying a house, you should be reading the contract. If you're not reading the contract, you're going to get taken advantage of. And And Elon didn't read the contract. Or if it's if it's a house, you you know you get like a real estate agent or whatever, and it's their job to parse the contract and make sure everything's kind of airtight for you, right? But with a car, 
the contracts are all the contracts are pretty boilerplate and it's not a car's like a commodity item so it's not in the dealership's interest if you buy a brand new car to fuck people right so you can be fairly confident if you buy a car now the bank on the other hand but then that's why you, you go with a rep- a that's why you go with a, that's why you confident. go with a reputable bank that makes a lot of car loans because again in the, not in their interest to fuck a bunch of people over actually yeah it was definitely in twitter's interest to fuck over elon yeah that was great fuck that that was amazing <laughs> you, you you know who i bet didn't put any money into twitter was peter Thiel. like he was like elon was like hey you want to help me buy this and he's like no he's like i like to make money <laughs> i mean it was just it was just you know jack dorsey all these other people it was you know they were just these figureheads and it was i mean the inmates were running the asylum yeah and uh and it was it was probably on some level, you know, you know there was some part of it that was somewhat ideological. There was a way that uh, Elon felt like the wrong person ideologically to take over Twitter. But I mean, after after a decade of the stock going nowhere, they were just completely exhausted. You know what its biggest yeah. pr- uh, pr- price per share jump was when Elon's dumbass bought it for thirty percent more than it was worth. <laughs> can only lose money for so long. You know, they, I don't know that it, much it, about it, business. They, they, didn't, but. they didn't lose money, but they didn't... If you look at the Twitter price, the day... At the end of the first day of trading, so, mm-hmm. you know, you price the IPO, it closes on day one. And I forget what the exact number was. Oh, I think it was it was roughly the same, right? It was Maybe roughly the same later. as yeah. at the point where Elon offered to acquire it. So it had gone nowhere in a decade yeah. in a context where a lot of tech stocks had gone up. So right. I think they were, they were just completely exhausted. And, and it was sort of a plea for help. And then... Elon probably on some level realized it and on some level didn't realize quite how, but, you know, please take this company from us. And, uh, and, you know, you, no, 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 no. They probably, they were like, you offered how much? That's like, I have a bicycle that I like that I paid $1,200 for. Hmm. It's current value. You know, if I were to try to sell it, maybe 300 bucks. Somebody offers me. Give you 2000 for it. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be like, well, <laughs> They'd be like, oh, that bicycle was really fucked up. It looked like they'd be commuting on it for five years. Boy, it's a good thing I bought this bike. And there I am counting the $2,000 buying a brand new version of the same fucking bicycle. Like, they didn't Uh, didn't plead for help. They were like, like, he offered how much? (laughs) The idea that they were just trying to offload Twitter is so ridiculous. Like he offered them way more than it was worth. Of course, they're going to take it. (laughs) Right. In fact, I think the board would have been sued if they did not take the offer because they're they're that fiduciary (laughs) responsibility shit. Right. The other fucking stakeholders and shareholders probably would have sued them. Probably. Yeah. Which is a whole nother level of fucked up or uh, (laughs) that can happen in the in our system we've set up just really really exhausted and right. probably was some combination of both right so all right so let's shift a little bit i want to talk to you one of the things that we've covered an awful lot on my show in the last two months is is a lot of the the globalist stuff and the wef <laughs> and the meetings in Davos and all of these things and I, I always try to say when i'm doing these things on the show it's like i i don't have a, a full sense of how much influence these organizations actually have probably less than peter Thiel. Versus just they give these crazy speeches. We all kind of freak out about it. But what are actually the policies? And then on the other Mm -hmm. hand, you see someone maybe like a Justin Trudeau, who seems like he really is incorporating a lot of the policies of the WEF. So as someone that you've been to some of these Mm -hmm. things over the Mm -hmm. years, right? Like 
what do you make of what actually goes on there? I assume you're usually kind of on the outside, even if you're there, yeah, just because I, so of I, your political leanings. I, I, I went to the WEF three times, 2008, 2009, 2013, so I haven't been in about a decade. Um, it is... I mean, there's you're the perfect person to talk on it then. Maybe, maybe, maybe talking some about global, globalism generally. Mm-hmm. Um, it, is, it is somehow this official... Exo- ideology it is it's in some ways very exhausted so it's i think the tide is going out the high watermark year was probably 2007 hmm. and it's been going out in some way for 16 years but it's been going out very very slowly and um and there are sort of ways that uh it is um you know in theory um you know a borderless more integrated more peaceful world is is a good world for the 21st century Theory, that's that's, sure, that's sure. good globalization <laughs> right and then there are all kinds of versions of it that are kind of bad where it just ends up being you know a, a, a racket for um you know dictators stealing money and stashing it in swiss bank accounts which probably were davos you can think of as a sort of reputation laundering operation yeah. <laughs> or something like that yeah. or there are all sorts of versions of it that are you know um uh, deeply deeply unhealthy and I think it has been on this uh, this kind of auto. Yeah, you know who never hides any of their money? I guarantee is Peter Thiel. <laughs> like, come on, dude. And a Swiss bank account? What is this? What is this fucking? What is this? A fucking James Bond movie from 1983? Like, what the fuck is he talking about? Like, the people don't. People don't. You know, <clears throat> it's not ye oldie times where you hide your money in a Swiss bank account, like. I don't even think you can do that well, anymore. I think give away the game. I think I think the fuck I think the fuck Swiss got wise to what was going on, and they're like, "Oh, actually, this is bad for our fucking country's reputation. We're not going to be this anymore." Uh, yeah, but he's not going to give away the game by telling you <laughs> where the money actually goes. Fucking Barbados or some shit, right? Where it just keeps going, even though it's very exhausted. Is, so I think it's been exhausted for. For 15 years. Is that why in some ways the, the rhetoric seems to ramp up where, you know, they really are making it sound like we control you and we are the gods. Yes. And it's sort of I mean, like hysterical because perhaps there actually isn't. I mean, that would be I, I would love that as the a thing. bunch of rich and powerful people get together at a meeting in Davos where like the catering bill is probably five hundred million dollars. And those people think they control the world. Good job, Dave. Good job, Dave. You figured it out. Crack the code. Yeah, of course those people think they control the world. The catering bill at that thing was $500 million. (laughs) Yeah, there there probably are all these different vectors of globalization. There's, you know, trade is the movement of goods. Movement of people is sort of immigration policy. Um, Movement of money is is banking and finance. And and then um, movement of ideas is the internet. And so there's sort of a those are, you can sort of analyze it in terms of these these uh, these different sectors, uh, and there were in theory all these ways these things should work. In theory, you know, free trade is is a positive sum exercise where both sides benefit. And I think it was you know Adam Smith who said you know why would anybody ever throw rocks in their own harbor and mm-hmm. and uh, and then you know um, being able to to move you know between countries and, and places is also something that you might expect to see in a dynamic, healthy world. So there are, are sort of all kinds of ways these things are, in theory, pretty good. And then in practice, they went, they went very ho- haywire. The movement of money piece was in some ways the global financial crisis where people 
were um, sending the money to all these different places all over the world where they had no local knowledge. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Wait, no, no, that's the last major collapse. That wasn't that like mom and pop, my mom and my dad sent their money to fucking Brazil and didn't know what was going on with their money. I mean, my parents had already, had already paid their house off during the last collapse or whatever, but it was now, now people took, like, it was all like, in America, it was all the American banks fucking over the American people. This is, they would... Just look up look up something called a mortgage-backed security. Yeah, sure, you could buy those if you lived in other countries, but that it wasn't that people were just sending their money to other countries and not knowing what was happening with their money. That's cocaine dealer shit. <laughs> like <laughs> the banks blew up, and that so that you can think of two thousand eight as as um, the financial part of globalization kind of blew up. And so, then, and then you know, one version would be, well, it's going to just stop, and we're going to stop sending the money, and uh, it sort of got replaced by governments. So if, if you think about um, Europe, sort of a mini globalization in the form of the European mm-hmm. Union, the EU, and, and basically in 2007, German savers were voluntarily buying Italian bonds, and sort of this uh, international financial flows. After 2008, nobody wanted to do that anymore, but the Northern European government stepped in and started doing it and somehow mm-hmm. kept that game going for, for another decade or so. But yeah, my, my intuition is that it's very exhausted. There's obviously a China version of this yeah. where, you know, um, in 2007, people still talked about globalization as, you know, all the developing countries, and they were going to converge with the developed world. And it was sort of, it was a sort of convergence theory of history. And um, in some ways, um, that story got dominated much more by by China, and there are you know there are sort of there are ways in which China has been growing, but it's actually not been globalizing. If globalizing means becoming, um, you know, sort of a um, a Western liberal democracy, that's not yeah. what. No, 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 no. That's that's not what global like China has been globalizing. Like they they trade with everybody because they make everything. <laughs> yeah, but it. it they're they're not globalizing in the way that he wants the word globalizing to mean. And like like you know, not for nothing, I ain't got no love for the fucking Chinese government or whatever. But it's also like largely not my business. I mean, you know, I care about you know the civil liberties and the you know um, like lack of freedom that people have in China. I care about some of that stuff, but I mean, I can't care that much, right? Because I can't do anything about it. Can't shoot them. Uh, And so China is actually, you know, this place that hasn't been following that script terribly well. And if the biggest country in the world doesn't fit the picture of globalization, at some point should tell you, you know, the theory is wrong. Fukuyama end of history theory was a version of globalization. And uh, I always say that, you know, in, in 2000, you know, the end of history itself was obviously over. But that was a theory about the end of the Cold War. Uh, it didn't have anything to do with China and like trade. It was literally a theory about the end of the Cold War. I think Blake, Blake Masters, who you co-wrote uh, Zero to One with, I think his line on China was, we thought that we would make China more like us, basically, by by having a conversation with China about what's going on with the world. And instead, we became more like China. So well, it sounds like they were more persuasive, Dave. I take it you probably agree. Do, we should. We should have just done a, like a long form podcast with China to figure out all this. Actually, that would have solved the problem.
And we could start it off by like, isn't it great that we're having this conversation? <laughs> With that premise, John. Actually, I bet diplomacy a works a little bit like a, that. It's probably insufferable. You know, it's a, it's, it has a great deal of very disturbing truth to it. And uh, where, yeah, there's sort of all this, you know, social credit scoring, centralized control, obviously. Unlike our credit score, which didn't exist till 1989, by the way. Really? I didn't know that. I thought it was older than that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Wow. I, 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 I knew it as of like three days ago, I think. So I'm older than credit scores. Yeah, like then the big credit agents, the, like the big, uh, like the, like Experian and all those companies. Yeah, they all started to show up in the like late 80s and early 90s. Um, we're still wow. very far what ways off from China. You know, I wouldn't want to move there. Can we all agree China's that it was a bad idea and start over? than China was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, I think it was, you know, it was a one-party communist state in 2012, but I don't think it felt as heavy-handed and as totalitarian as it does now. I mean, there's, there's, I don't, I don't know what the right metaphor is. It's like the Cylons in Battlestar Galactica where they've just been, the tech, the tech is just, it's like all the surveillance tech, everyone's being monitored at all times and all places. You run Palantir. In, now in a way that they, they were not a decade ago. So Palantir. Is the, is the white pill version of that, that it just can't sustain itself long enough? If you, if you surveil people constantly, if you control everything constantly, eventually you cannot maintain that level of control, something to that effect? There are, um, you know, there are, there are stories we like to tell where it's just going to collapse. And they're, you know, they're also very pessimistic. Those are, I think those are too optimistic. And then I think there are ones that are, you know, overly, um, overly pes uh, pessimistic where China's just going to take over the whole world and yeah. somehow it's more efficient or, or, or things like that. And I, I think both the extreme optimistic and extremely pessimistic stories are probably wrong. It's somewhere in between. And, you know, you know we have to, we, 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 do, we should not assume it's going to collapse on its own. We need to think very hard about, you know, um, you know, how we, how we um, rise up to the challenge that China represents. And it has, you know, it has all these dimensions, military, technological, economic it's, it's sort of much more multifaceted than the challenge the soviet union was which was you know much more uh, military and you know ideological when you say we is it like is it our political establishment that that we are the ones that are going to have to deal with this probably like what we, what, we what actually always, is yeah, the we, we is always now. that's a good catch we, yeah. we is always a very ambiguous word so yeah. it means we conservatives we libertarians it means we republicans right. we americans and we the western world or we all the countries that are not China. Yeah, or maybe we. Or maybe <laughs> the, two the, two of us. Us. Right. the two of us. Right, like, so, but, but I like that he that? Like, reluctantly included us in in the Western world. Like, in, in, in a sense yeah, all, of, like, all, all we the were, above. Yeah, all, the, all above. the above. You know, there's, there's, um, there probably is, uh, you know, there's always a debate between, uh, let's say, you know, uh, the, the President Trump's policy was somewhat of a unilateral anti- tough on China policy. And, uh, and there's obviously a sense where a multilateral approach to China is, is more powerful and, and better. It's also hard to pull off. And, and so multilateralism in theory is good. In practice, you have to always worry that that's, uh, that's almost like a Chinese communist uh, decoy tactic where they're <laughs> intentionally encouraging us to be multilateral because they know that will go super slow. Right. Basically like having the UN do anything. Or the WTO point, or like all that. these, yeah. all these multinational agencies that have, that have been, you know, semi hijacked. 
Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, but I, I think, yeah, I think there are, there are ways in which, uh, yeah, one should start with rethinking it on, on a, on a U.S. level, and then, uh, and then, and then, uh, uh, it's, it's definitely something we need to bring our allies into. Do you think we have enough sort of, not mental acumen, but do we have enough like juice left in America to, to tackle things properly? I think, I think that's what- There's an apple juice shortage. Right now, that the juice? is so across the board and Biden is so either mentally compromised or mm-hmm. has I don't the wrong think ideas or has he reached the, the, wi- the right word there. That we just don't have enough left to, to do the right thing in the world. You know, we- um, the, at least the, as it stands, there are always worries that I that we have that we're exhausted. But I, I, I what does he mean by like do the right thing in the world? Anymore. Does he mean make decisions for other countries? Yes, I think so. I would say <clears> that's not the right thing to do. Depends on what the other country's decisions are, but it's a case by case basis, right? And it's <clears throat> at, since World War II, our history of uh, intervening in world events has been kind of bad. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we should like sit out for a little while and see if things get better elsewhere. <laughs> I'll be right back. I got to pee. I never have to get up and pee during the show, but I have to pee. You can just talk over this <laughs> narrative mm-hmm. in case people listening on the podcast were wondering, this is in fact, actually a recording of a live show. Although if somebody listened to any of these episodes and thought that we edited it, I'd be like, I don't know what you heard. Or so. they were <laughs> generation. And then the country was always defined by the age the boomers were. So the 1950s was this innocent childhood time because the boomers were 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And the late 60s was this um, great uh, youth movement because the boomers were all in college. And the 1980s, the boomers were yuppies. And now the boomers are all retired and angry old people. And then, uh, <laughs> or hanging and then, on. And then, or and then that's on, somehow, right? that somehow uh, is the template for the whole U.S. So I... You know, I, I think so. I think the complicated answer is there's some truth to it because the boom. I mean, again, right here, he's just showing that like he is very siloed right now as, a, as a generation. Like, if that's his impression um, of the overall United States, he's just really like he has such a limited view of the United States and probably the world at large. People to be sort of functional longer that now we're ruled by octogenarians who you know basically should you know when you see nancy pelosi up there it's like go go with your grandchildren go play with your grandchildren later you don't have to be out there still or biden you know it's like they can't let go because science in some ways has kept you them know, it, going it, it hasn't it hasn't changed it it's been frustratingly slow i mean we've had some some extension of uh life expectancy it's actually reversed the last few years with yeah. COVID and the opioid epidemic etc but um but no, I think I think the main the main dynamic was um, you haven't you never had a generation like the boomers. You know, the, I'm you know I'm Gen X. Yeah. You know, there are millennials, um, and there's some generational sensibility you can tell, or silent generation. There's some generational story you can tell around other people, but the you know the 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 generation with a really strong identity is the boomers, and I think it's there were just so many of them. It was like in 1946, there were 20 percent more kids born than 1945 or something. It was like a step function up. And then you get the birth control pill in the early '60s, and you have fewer fewer babies, and and so it was just it was just a lot of people. Where, where does Uh-oh. that put us, the Gen? X, I don't like where this is going. We should be doing the thing right now, and in, I suppose in some cases we are. But this is really this is getting a little uh, forced birthy right now. I was thinking the other way. What I was thinking it was going to go. I'm thinking it's going to go eugenics if it goes either way. Okay. 
in an odd way. We focus on boomers and then, you know, millennials or Zoomers or whatever it is. Like we've sort of missed the people that are between, say, 40 and, you know, late yeah, I've 50s. All, I've all these resentful Gen X yeah, things yeah. I can say. But uh, <laughs> I, no, I, th- I think there's, there's probably some narrative where it's a smaller group. And, uh, and so there's a risk that you end up being sort of left out. I mean, I think there's some things where we did perfectly. Do wait, millennials you know, are destroying Gen X? You know, Olympic gold medalists. Is that what they're those, saying? <laughs> Remember when everybody said millennials were destroying Applebee's, but then you went and ate at Applebee's? You're like, all right, millennials, do your thing. Is it a certain age? <laughs> yeah, like, right. No, right. Applebee's destroyed itself. Um, you know, it's uh, we had 28 years of, of boomer presidents. And I sometimes wonder whether we're ever going to have a Gen X president. Yeah, it's just is. it's not enough. And maybe you, you just skip to the, the Barack Obama no. was just a few years old, too old to be Gen X. Uh, bo- boomers are going to live forever, and they're always going to be presidents. Also, uh, Ron DeSantis is, I think, Generation X, and he has a pretty good chance of being the next president. So, um, you know, the Silicon Valley story in the 1990s was the internet companies were started by Gen X people and mm. then somehow bought out, taken over by, by boomers. And that's sort of what happened to almost all the companies in the 90s. And then the boomers probably had a healthier relationship with the millennials, where it was, those were, the millennials were their kids. And so they were, they were a little bit nicer to the millennials than they huh. were to us. We were sort of more their companions. Wait, no, I'm Gen X and my parents are boomers. I'm a millennial and my parents are boomers. We, when, we were when, the replacement. When, when, when PayPal got acquired by eBay in um, 2002, and it was sort of this boomer company, and we were this Gen X company. Uh, one of my uh, one of my friends, David Sachs, said, yeah. uh, "You know, um, if it would be a movie, we called Meet the Parents." Where yeah. sort of this stodgy <laughs> older people company it was going to clearly not be fun when, yeah. they, when they took over. But uh, actually, you need a you need sort of a word for um, for people who are half a generation older, not related to you. And are going to be a lot less nice to you than your parents. And right, so we, need, we be, do need a word for like, that. Would, so I think that it would be more like um, I don't know Meg Whitman would be like more uh, meet the um, the um, the um, evil <laughs> uh, young stepmother. Right, right. So actually, since you mentioned Sachs, do you find it interesting if you were to look back twenty years ago and boy, you know, Elon's doing everything he's doing now. You've done incredible things. You know, Sachs is becoming an outspoken political voice. You know, really anti. Oh I man, like, <laughs> I like how Dave said. Elon's doing everything he's doing now. You've done incredible things. <laughs> so this David Sachs. I didn't miss that contrast there. You probably don't know who David Sachs is, but like David Sachs, like, you know how like the um, SVB, the news about it dropped on a Friday, right? Yeah. And so this David Sachs guy spent the entire weekend on Twitter absolutely freaking out about the SVB collapse. Just freaking out. It was amazing. No notes. <laughs> and so if by political voice he means absolutely freaking out about SVB, then yes. Or he's one of the okay. people eating that thing. That this crew of pay, you know, the PayPal mafia, so to speak, mm-hmm. you guys are all still in the mix in mm-hmm. a, in an odd way. Is there something special about what was going on there 20 years ago? It was, or it's more than 20 years at this point. You know, it's, it's, it's always hard to, uh, it's hard to tell the story. It was, it was, um, I don't, I don't think we've really appreciated the time, but yeah, it was, it was a phenomenal group of people. There's always, there's always a sense where PayPal didn't really succeed in that big a way. You know, it was, it was a successful exit in 2002 is, you know, one and a half billion acquisition by eBay, but it didn't, 
you know, we couldn't figure out how to run the business on our own. It made sense to combine it with eBay for all sorts of reasons. It was, you know, you know wait, the, wait, 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 you, we didn't know how to run the business on our own. That's what he said. That's okay. Very rational thing hmm. to do. And then did you feel that at the time that, that maybe you wanted to hold on a little bit longer or something like that? It, it, we didn't see, it, it was hard to see a path to an independent business where, you know, eBay yeah. had the store and we were running the cash registers and the people running the store were trying to figure out how to get their own cash register machines to work and figured it out one time we'd be sort of out of business. And then there are ways you could gradually diversify away from eBay. And, but it, it, it took like a decade in practice. So I, I think, you know, I think, I think the combination made a lot of sense, but then it somehow short circuited the business. Whereas, you know, so many of the other tech companies just scaled and scaled and scaled, which was like the Google history or something like that. And, um, that would have been, you know, a far more successful version, but uh, probably would have done less. You know, if you, if you were, if, if you if you had, um, you know, if you'd gotten on board the Google rocket at the right time, you should have just never gotten off. Right. When you see the the frustrations that people have with these things, you know, the sort of lack of trust in these things, you know, is the government working to silence you on Twitter, or how is Google mm-hmm. manipulating the search results, or all of these things? Do you also see those as inevitable problem problems that were going to happen as these thing, uh, with these things? The reason I ask is I heard you give a talk at mm-hmm. NatCon. You gave the keynote speech last year. And one of the things you said was that nobody represents the individual at these big conferences. Mm-hmm. And I sort of think mm-hmm. that's the same problem that we have with tech. Nobody represents the individual anymore. We just have these giant corporations that, or these giant tech yeah, What did Sears Roebuck back in the day go out fucking representing the individual? Like, what the fuck is he talking about? Was the Woolworths <laughs> Corporation out there championing the rights of the fucking individual? Like, what? I don't know what he means. <laughs> uh... Fuck if I know, man. Make decisions. You cannot get somebody on the phone. You can't. You can't actually communicate as yourself. You Is that what he means? He's complaining about their customer service. I mean, it does suck. Yes, I agree. But if you pay for it, it doesn't. Yeah, there probably are. Yeah, Elon's trying to charge eight bucks for all it. Kinds of ways they they have biases in that direction. You know, there's uh, like he just wants always, uh, Noam he he he's getting the milk for free and he wants the cow. IT professor, yeah. I always like to quote him on this, where he, he says that, you know, the Republicans are the parties, the party of business, and the, but the Democrats discriminate. The Democrats are the party of big business. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and and there's sort of like a center-left... Look at Demo- you quoting a communist. There well, you yeah, go. Every now and entirely wrong about yeah. things, or, you know. Yeah. But, um, but there's sort of a, a center-left sensibility where, um, you know... Uh, where most of the country is? Big businesses can be regulated. They'll follow all the rules. Small businesses, you know, um, they often make a little bit more money by uh, being in a gray area, not following the rules to the letter. And um, and so there is probably just this. Do you mean fraud, abuse, crimes? That's, that's um, you know, political, regulatory. Also, part famously, big, giant financial firms have never bent the rules. <laughs> <laughs> Venture firms have never, never, ever just kind of tweaked the rules a little bit, tried to try to get away with anything. Famously, that's very yeah. deep. Were, were you shocked how obvious that became during COVID? I mean, where, you know, Target could stay open for, you know, the big box store, but the mom and pop that was selling the exact same thing next door got closed. That that shows the bias right there. No, no, no. That store didn't exist. Target killed that store in the 90s. 
<laughs> yeah, you're right. Uh, also, Target wasn't allowed to stay open. I remember being at Target and just like picking up items outside. It's not like you could just walk in there. And to the extent that some stores do sell the th same things as Target, like little boutiques that would sell, like if you want to buy clothes, but you don't want to buy from Target and you live in a city or whatever, you can find little boutiques and stuff. And they would do curbside just the same as Target was would actually. Yeah. Yeah, right. The system just kind of eliminated a certain set of people. Uh, yes, I think, I mean, I, I, th I think it was, um, yeah, it was, a, I mean, a dramatic shift in terms of the, the power of big relative to small businesses. And uh, it probably, I don't know, I, I, th I think in some ways COVID surfaced all these realities that had been there for a long time. Yeah. And yeah, this was, this is the institutional center left establishment in this country. You know, it's, it's, it's good with big business. It's, it's anti it's very anti-small business. The institutional center-left establishment in this country. <clears throat> he just means like essentially like where the majority, where like not the majority, maybe the majority, the plurality of people probably are. Your businesses during COVID and figuring out, you know, were people going to work from home or, all, or just all of the nonsense? That well, yes, they, they did, Dave. Did, did you try to give as much power to your employees and say, "Do what you got to do"? Or, well, you know, m m most of the because even I'm, now, a lot of the people still don't want to come back. That's one of the problems that that Elon's yeah, most having. most of the tech companies were were. Pre you say that's one of the problems um, Elon has is that his employees don't want to come in and work around him. Well, they don't want to come back to work is I think what he's saying. But yeah, like people realized they could do their jobs from home and they were saving money on gas. They were able to maybe, maybe not have a, maybe not pay for childcare anymore. Right. Cause they were like, well, if I'm working from home and I'm not in meetings 24 at seven while I'm at work, I can, you know, my kids are you know old enough to mostly take care of themselves. I'm just not trying to leave them at home all day without any supervision. So like, or I don't have to go out to lunch every day or even pack a lunch. I can just go make lunch, right? <laughs> like I can go yeah. into my kitchen and make lunch with the things I got at the store. Like there are all these good things about working from home. And yeah, people, once you give people like things that they like, it's hard to take it back from them. Yeah. And also it was good for companies like these companies like Twitter, for example, they had a lot of things to to offer you in the uh, like when you'd go into work. You know, I worked for several of these big companies. They had a lot of things to keep you there. You know, they had like these micro kitchens that had all sorts of foods. They would have uh, like either catered food or they'd have like chefs making the food on site. Uh, Shit, so you could do your laundry. Were, you could do your laundry at work at some of these places. Oh yeah, yeah. There were laundry machines at LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there were there were a lot of things designed to keep you there, and that might be good in the short term for employees, uh, and good in the short term for these companies. But there's a reason that these companies have so much churn. It's because they, they have this culture of like, there's no separation of work and life. 
Like work is life. Life is work. And that's just, that's not how it should be. And it's not what people do best at. So you started seeing these companies, you know, letting people work from home. And what happened to their productivity? It stayed the same or went up. Yeah, either it stayed the same or it went up. These companies realized like all this shit that we're doing to keep people in here isn't working. It's giving us a higher churn and it's making our employees unhappy. So like people got to work from home and they were just as productive or even more productive. And Elon refused to believe that. That was his problem. His problem wasn't that the employees didn't want to come in. His problem is that he refused to believe that making his employees come in was a bad thing. And not despite all of the evidence showing that it was. And not not for nothing, too. Like when you were on the the lower rungs or whatever, you were watching people on the higher rungs living their best life, basically. The people, as you got up higher into the organization, you were able to have a work better work life balance. You were able to work from home when you when you wanted to or if you were higher up the food chain. You were able to do, you were able to just go on vacation. You were able to do all kind of shit. There were fucking, there were all kind of CEOs that probably never even went to the office. Oh yeah. The average CEO probably does like maybe a few hours of work a week. Right. <clears throat> but they're, they're, Elon Musk doesn't do any. They're, uh, you can even tell cause he's always tweeting, but they're, 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 they're the idea person. The sure. Fuck, the, the, the problem with that is that the company already exists. Somebody already had the idea. So. The idea is there. (laughs) Well positioned to adapt to, to COVID where, you know, if you're, if you're, there were sort of ways you could do the remote work. Um, you could work remotely, do things like that. Uh, and it seemingly didn't hurt the business too much. And then of course there was, there was a way where COVID shifted a lot to the internet. So sort of a lot of the, the tech companies in which I'm involved, you know, got a, got a big temporary boost from COVID, even though, you know, maybe they, Maybe they actually got, you know, more bloated, less well managed in the last two, three years, and that's that's what I worry about. Yeah. So it, it was it was actually sort of a windfall for them, and then the question is just, did they did they really take advantage of it, or or did it, did they get um, even more dysfunctional in various ways? Do you think more people in the tech world, or maybe even in the political world, actually think like you to some degree, but because of the way we the hive mind is or the globalist movement or whatever it is they just sort of always go to that but i think you know if you privately wait this is conspiracy theory thinking a fucking like 101 this is boilerplate right do you remember when you talked to madison star moon and she told you that most people agreed with her (laughs) this is what dave rubin's doing that right now (laughs) he's doing a star moon yeah, he's saying that, oh, I, I think more people right. agree with you. They're just afraid to say so. And But that's what people who think the earth is flat say or what people who believe in chemtrails say. Yeah. They're like, we're actually yeah. the majority. It's just people are afraid to speak out. Yep. <laughs> These people about But that's the whole, like, that's what conservatives believe because conservatism is kind of a conspiracy. <laughs> like, I don't believe that most people agree with me. Otherwise, if I believe most people agreed with me, I wouldn't have this particular show. That's for sure. Right. Like, I mean, like I understand that yeah, most people am, don't agree with me. I am far to the left of most people. Right. And, but well, I, most people in the United, in the United States, I mean like issue by issue, I bet a lot of it, I'm pretty mainstream. Um, 
or at least willing to like moderate my position. Like if, if it means like, uh, if it means a good compromise that helps people, you know what I'm saying? Um, but that doesn't mean that everybody agrees with me. That just means that like I hold many mainstream positions and that's fine with me. Yeah. Real beliefs in the individual are in capitalism and these things. Uh, directionally. Yes. But I, I think it, I always wonder if it actually works if you can't say it. So, uh, so yes, the, surely it's the, almost the definition of political correctness that it distorts things yeah. and that there are all sorts of people. Who but are, Peter Thiel and his friends haven't shut up since COVID started. <laughs> are less politically correct than they appear to be because political correctness is about appearances. Mm-hmm. And then the reality is always that people are going to think it's a little bit crazy you know, there probably are a lot of parents who think the schools went very crazy. But, um, but then if you feel like you can't talk about it or articulate it, it's, it's not going to be that well-formed a view at all. And so that's, and so I, I, I think. Or what if like, <clears throat> check this out. What if you're a parent and you're like, I don't know if all this school closure thing is the right thing. And, but then you think to yourself, you know what? I'm a civil engineer. I'm not an educator. So I'm just going to kind of defer to what the educators are doing here because that's their job. And I don't think that they should come in and do my job as a civil engineer. What if you were just a little bit humble and that's why you don't open your mouth and fucking freak out at the school board or whatever every time you have some idea about the school? What if what if that's it? What if people are just reasonable? And we're like, well, let's see how this let's see how this goes. Correctness is is real to the extent it just stops people from from saying things. You 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 don't actually get to a very considered non politically correct opinion. Right. It's interesting because that also then gets to. The I mean, I, I do agree with him to a certain extent that political correctness does stop some people from voicing their opinions. But those are the kind of opinions that you don't want people to voice, or. I mean, I don't really care if people say like politically incorrect things. And I think this comes down, comes back to one of the things that we talk about a lot around here is when he says to voice their opinion, he means people that agree with him voice their opinions and people like you and me shut the fuck up, right? That we don't make fun of them or criticize them or, you know, call them an asshole. You know what I'm saying? I think that's like, I think that's kind of looming large here is this idea that like, it's this one-way street version of free speech that a lot of people like Peter Thiel and a lot of the people, you know, the more time goes on, the more I think that he has probably had more to do with propping up the so-called intellectual dark web than uh, we're ever going to know. And that's like one of the main things that the people on this, that we cover on this say, Sam Harris says it, right? He's like, oh, well, you can't really say what you want. And as he's speaking to millions of fucking people on a podcast, you know? It's like, well, you can, you just don't like it when Kara Swisher or Ezra Klein or somebody claps back at you. Mm -hmm. And that's the same with, that's the same, like sort of what he's saying here. I mean, I'm, I'm here for it, baby. I, I fucking love it when somebody way more popular than me fucking quote tweets me and tries to send their army of dorks after me on Twitter. Fuck yeah. Cause you know what? I could turn off Twitter if I don't like what people are saying to me. (laughs) Well, like the, the kind of thing I was getting at was like you know the idea of political correctness might make uh you know someone who works for a very uh a very litigious company 
uh, hold their tongue when talking about uh, their own ideas of, let's say, race or gender. Uh, you know, they might not want to get fired over that. Right. Which, good. Because if you have ideas that are so shitty that, like, even some company whose only goal is profit doesn't even want you to say them in public, you shouldn't. And it's not, it's not necessarily like the company does it out of altruism. They do it out of, we don't want this fucking hassle. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, we don't want our employees saying the N-word on on like the internet <laughs> or we don't want it's a you bad look on us <clears throat> right we you know you you're a um you know you're the vice president of marketing why are you out there talking about race and iq on twitter shut the fuck up yeah like and i guess we're at about an hour and a half so this is as good a place to stop this as any uh we are going to watch the rest of this during the post game i Almost, this is a different conversation. Well, usually when we've watched Peter Thiel, it's been him giving a talk, and he's leaned really hard into this idea that technology hasn't really moved forward. They kind of touched on that, but they didn't spend a lot of time on that. This is more about, like, why didn't everyone listen to me? Wah. I think. I think that's what he's doing here. Yeah. Um he did, yeah, like you said, he did touch just very slightly on on that idea. But I think Dave Rubin was pushing him towards specific points. Uh, and I really felt like Dave Rubin tried really hard to get Peter Thiel to agree with everything he was saying. And Peter Thiel was just like, yeah, okay, fine, I'll agree. <laughs> well, <clears throat> I mean... You know, like this is this is like even when you consider the amount of power that Peter Thiel has and the amount the way the ways in which he has sort of influenced our society over the last 30 years, not much. They were not really a lot of substance has been in this like has happened in this conversation. Right. It's been a lot of a lot of like a little bit of aggrievement, like like the that people are like unfair to to them and at the end here it was like this this delusional notion sort of that that people like agree with what they're saying and are just afraid to say so but the problem with that is if you hold the majority view or if you hold a view that's fairly popular or you know the plurality view on you know most ideas or most like policy ideas or just most sort of societal concepts the clapback isn't really going to be that strong yeah and I'm surprised we didn't hear the uh, tried and true. Oh, I've heard from hundreds of people that they agree with me. They just can't say it. To Teal's credit, he doesn't tend. To, he, I, I've, I don't see him doing that. I bet Ruben does, though. Oh yeah. I mean, if he, <laughs> if he can even conceptualize the idea of hundreds. <laughs> anyway, I guess that's the pod. Uh, HK, uh, would you like to read us out? Yeah, like I like we have a uh, script. Thank you for like joining us. Something. We do this show. What's that? Like you're actually reading something? <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll pretend to read it. Uh, thank you for joining us. We do this show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Uh, that's Pacific time on Twitch.tv/EchoplexMedia. If you would like to help us out, you can donate to us at Patreon.com/EchoplexMedia. Uh, stick around if you're listening live 
for the red light after the outro. Uh, this is Boomers by Periscope.
Did you know Echoplex has a 24-hour stream? That's right. Check out our 24-7 music stream at echoplexmedia.com live or at eplex.xyz. Our huge self-submitted local music library plays the best tunes the Bay Area has to offer, adding commercial free, well, except for ours, and even by request. Check out the player on echoplexmedia.com or at eplex.xyz. Bookmark it and enjoy it all day. Echoplex is very supportive of our local music scene, and we hope you enjoy the soundtrack they've so graciously sent in for us to play on our network. If you like who you hear, please go check them out. The names of the artists are displayed on the player at echoplexmedia.com and at eplex.xyz.